Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. everyone this is brian and this is behind the scenes with brian today i am here with my longtime attorney friend harry petrus harry how are you today very good brian thank you for having me uh, yeah absolutely absolutely and how are you holding up during the uh the, the virus well we're holding up pretty well uh we haven't really missed a beat here uh we continue to work uh we had to basically shift approximately a thousand attorneys from being in an office to working remotely. <laughs> now, there were initial challenges from a tech standpoint, but uh, we've been able to continue and service our clients and actually we've been busier than ever. So, okay. uh, yeah, a few probably, lucky people than ever. Yeah, probably not too dissimilar to engineers working remotely then. I, I can imagine. And, uh, you know, the work doesn't stop. I mean, obviously, both the legal profession and uh, construction, at least in Nevada and most jurisdictions, yeah. uh, were essential services. So obviously that work has to be done and we had to adapt quickly, uh, both from a legal standpoint and the engineers and our design professionals did to be able to maintain uh, the expectations of the clients and provide, uh, you know, world-class service. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, Harry, tell us a little, tell us a little bit of back about yourself, some some background information and uh, your university career. I went to uh, University of Southern California, uh, my undergraduate degree was in the Marshall School of Business. I got that in finance, uh, also took a marketing uh, minor in that. Uh, went on to law school, to Whittier Law School, uh, graduated law school, went and joined uh, Girardi and Keys in California that was uh, or is uh, one of the most premier preeminent uh, personal injury firms in California. Um, Erica Girardi is one of the uh, people on the Housewives of Beverly Hills, if people watch that, that's Tom's wife. Um, Okay. There I was uh, dragon slaying is what we like to call it. I did large mass tort, toxic tort class actions uh, sued Shell, Exxon, Mobile, DuPont, State Farm, Allstate. Uh, big, large litigations, typically those cases would last. Uh, trials would be four to six months each. I uh, did that for many years and decided to move to Nevada, mm-hmm. uh, which was always my home state. I, I've always uh, had Nevada as a residency, uh. even California. <laughs> and, uh, um, Moved to Nevada, joined up with uh, my former partner, Gene Weil, who's now retired. Uh, she and I uh, were in Green and Hall. I was managing attorney for the Las Vegas office for Green and Hall. Completely switched over to the construction side of things, uh, representing uh, developers, architects, and other design professionals. I've uh, been doing that pretty much exclusively since 2002 until this past year where uh, now um, of counsel at uh, Wilson Elzer, uh, we're one of the nation's preeminent large uh, defense firms. We represent uh, basically, uh, I shouldn't say represent, we 
perform work on behalf of all of uh, the large uh, insurers, uh, United States and worldwide. We've got offices uh, in various countries as well. Oh, uh, okay. Over firms, there are 900 attorneys in the firm, and uh, we can handle everything. Uh, that's the nice thing about this firm. The reason why I joined it is, is you know, I was pitch, uh, it's not so pigeonholed, but I was, you know, doing this uh, design work and uh, architect and design professional work pretty much exclusively since 2002. Wilson Elzer's got a thing of, uh, we do everything from Admiralty, you know, all the way through whatever Z might be. And uh, if you have an interest in a, in a field that you're not familiar with, uh, you can always uh, call up, take on a case, and they'll, they'll teach you the ropes of it. And uh, yeah, I always like to continue to learn. So there's yeah. new things. Uh, right now I represent uh, tech companies, uh, which is uh, new to me. Um, but we're doing their GL work, which is general liability. That is not new to me, but um, it, it's a nice opportunity to grow as I shift into my, probably my latter phase of my legal life here. Yeah. In four years already. Yeah, okay. And I, I guess uh, it's fair to say that you, you and I met a few years back when the city of Elko filed a lawsuit against a contractor. <laughs> former uh, employer um, that battle went on I think for oh, several years anyway it sure did and uh, you know I always uh, enjoyed your acumen and your interest in the law side of it and what we were doing um, obviously that that case had specific challenges yeah uh, to uh, how the plaintiffs which the city decided to approach it uh, their unwillingness to, you know, enter into any kind of negotiations. And, you know, we had to, we had pretty good early on uh, estimates and assessments that, uh, you know, we weren't able to discuss with them in a realistic or meaningful fashion, which is unfortunate because I think all parties uh, would have been better served by that. Yeah, the city certainly could have come out better. Uh, from our standpoint, it came out the exact way we thought it would. I want to be clear on that. But from the city standpoint, I don't think they did the city any service uh, by okay. litigation decisions. So. No wonder, yeah, not not at all. So Harry, let's talk about contract issues. Well, you know, the city of Elko was kind of a, a good segue into that. Um, <laughs> so I, I remember your contract well, and um, you know. As a, as a design professional attorney, uh, most of my clients uh, want to get me involved from day one. And that's, I'm talking about not day one of litigation. I'm talking about day one of them starting their work on a project. Uh, is, is you can avert and you can risk mitigate and control uh, the various duties of the parties and what you're exposed to <clears throat> by way of contract. Uh, there was one word in uh, the city of Elko contract that that brought us an issue, and, and uh, unfortunately, we used the word insure. Yeah, and that brings a lot of, you know, insure equals you're the insurer almost. It's a word that I would never personally use in a contract uh, for one of my clients. Uh, typically, design professionals. Um, you know, you'll have a, a set of duties or obligations that you're going to do on a project, you know, what your scope of services are going to be. Um, design professionals obviously are held 
to what is called a standard of care. And the standard of care can vary by jurisdiction. Um, but what the standard of care looks at is, uh, it doesn't look for perfection. There, there's no such thing in the legal world as, a, as a, an attorney, and there's no such thing as uh, perfection in a design professional arena. There's human error and there's uh, various types of uh, gray areas that uh, come into play because obviously it's it's a creative um, form of, of and in that regard what you'd look for is what was the standard of care at the time of construction that a similarly situated uh, design professional would do in the jurisdiction in which it's being performed and um, you know so you want to make sure that that is spelled out in the contract um, because you don't want to basically contract for perfection by using the word like insure when really your duty is less than that. Right, right, right. Yeah, very good point and uh, very good lesson learned from that one. Yeah, and you know, that, that was, just, you know, we took that into account on that case. And, uh, you know, there, there's other contract language that I, I typically find. Uh, problematic and, and there's the most difficult for our clients to necessarily understand and you know you'll see typically in contracts now especially if you're doing them for uh, a government or you know most architects now are catching up to it but uh, they'll have uh, an indemnity clause that will uh, have both or all the, the you know they have you defend indemnify and hold the architect harmless now they're, they're, they're very different things but they're usually contained in the same uh, provision um, defense means as if you uh, performed uh, subpar and breach a standard of care that you'll defend the architect who obviously is going to get sued because under the economic loss rule if you're dealing with a commercial project there has to be privity of contracts so the architect would be involved because typically, you know, as a design professional or subconsultant, your architect would be with the, uh, your contract would be with the architect. Uh, but you'll agree to say, hey, I'll pay, I'll pay you for your defense if, if I did not comply with the standard of care. Yeah, you know, that, that's typically okay. Yeah. Hold list means, you know, if the architect makes a, a, a stupid mistake or whatever, that you're not going to be pursuing, you know, the architect uh, for, for their issues as well. The issue comes in with the word indemnity. Now, indemnity means I'm risk shifting even my own negligence. So basically, let's say it was an architect, design professional, subconsultant relationship. Uh, the architect through indemnity can say, hey, you'll take on the risk of the architect being negligent and you'll go ahead and pay for the cost of defense, investigation and settlement as a result of some other party's negligence. Now, you might say, hey, that didn't really sound fair, but what is the limitations under the law? In Nevada, as long as you say that you uh, agree to indemnify somebody even for their own gross negligence, that's, that's a fine provision that will be upheld by the court. Hmm. The limitation or public policy is you're not allowed nor the courts enforce a provision that requires you to indemnify somebody for their own intentional misconduct. But you're going to become basically the insurance company under indemnity. And there's various contractual ways to get around that. Um, typically, we'll, we'll offer in uh, provisions saying that 
we will indemnify uh, and defend after a finding of fact by a trier of fact, which is either a jury or a judge, uh, adjudicating um, who did what wrong and what the percentages of fault were. And that that really is kind of a, a good way to initially, it's a first step to get around it. Uh, typically these cases never get to the point where it gets adjudicated, so that, that duty never triggers in. Yeah. We also can help get around it. Let's say, you know, a lot of clients, I, I've had a, I've had several where I've told them where they were unwilling to negotiate at all, uh, the onerous indemnity provision. And these guys were paid, oh, maybe $7,000 on, you know, a $25 million uh, scope of work because uh, they were just doing consulting on, uh, on uh, it's basically human factors kind of an issue. And I told them to walk away from the project. It's not worth it. Uh, if they're unwilling to negotiate. And of course, the architect's attorney came back and said, oh, you know, well, there's two or three competitors of your client that are willing to sign this. I'm not sure worried about why, you know, why you guys are worried about signing it. I'm like, we're not worried about signing it. I said, obviously you're coming to us because we are the best. There might be two or three competitors, but nobody does worldwide work that we do. And uh, when this project ultimately ends up in litigation, which it, which it probably will if you use these other guys, See if they're still in business for you to be able to exercise that indemnity provision that you're so holding on strong to, because they probably won't be in business. Yeah, it becomes a useless thing that you've basically lost the ability to have good talent for. You know, and they still went ahead and did it. And uh, you know, I, I think that we made our point, and they eventually, on later projects, capitulated back. But uh, use other contract provisions to help uh, protect yourself. And you know, a lot of people. You know, a contract is just basically an agreement between two parties and everything, you know, prior discussions, you know, you might be friends with best friends with a developer. Um, and really all of that goes away once litigation starts, because obviously insurance companies get involved, attorneys get involved. Uh, your best friend who is a developer is no longer calling the shots. It's going to be a third party who really doesn't know or care about your personal relationship with the developer or whoever brought you onto the project. And, uh, you know, the, the terms of the contract are going to control. And if there's terms in there that they can use to shift the responsibility and the duty to pay to you from them, they're going to go 100% for that. So you protect yourself. You can use things like limitations of liability provisions, uh, where basically uh, you can limit the contract to your available insurance. Uh, from a design professional standpoint, that's a very valuable provision uh, you get into place because obviously uh, for a vast majority of design professional contracts, uh, your insurance policy is evaporating or it's exhausting. Now, in other words, every dollar you spend on defense and, and experts and, and trial costs is a dollar that's no longer available to try to settle the claim. And personal, you know, attorneys who do uh, the plaintiff side are, are aware of that. And obviously, uh, you know, they, they're smart. They obviously want to try to maintain as much of the policy as possible. The claim's large. Yeah. Uh, you want to basically limit your exposure only to available insurance. Uh, you can also do a project policy uh, type deal where uh, the design team is uh, wrapped into its own project policy and make that project policy their exclusive remedy. Uh, you should also have a provision in there that says that they won't go after 
because as you and me as, as a professional uh, with a with a license that's granted uh, in our jurisdictions, uh, they can come after us personally and basically you're going to have a contract provision in there that says that, uh, that you know they'll only sue the company and they won't come after the individual um, engineers, lawyers, or whoever. Um, and that basically the insurance is what the remedy is. And if you, if you do a really good uh, contract uh, draft at that point from the very beginning, it, it really makes you a, a tougher target at litigation and provides you with immense protection. So that's typically what we like to do. Okay, okay, yeah. And I've, I've, in the last couple of years, I've come across a couple of cases where we've limited our liability to like one or two times the fees instead of the limits on insurance a lot of places don't like that too much but it's a little bit more fair you know if you if you invoice somebody five thousand and there's a million dollar claim there's some pretty big inequities of course you do have to consider the the consequences of whatever has failed you know there's been some really significant tailings facility failures in the last couple of years and I, I can't imagine um, a, a project involving a tailings facility where a client will say yeah you're you're the designer and we'll let you get away with you know one time your, your fees for limits on your liability and if they push back on the limitation of liability, then those large projects like that, where there's very large exposure, might be well suited for a project policy solution, uh, where basically you have a, a million dollar project policy in play. Uh, we own um, a piece of land that I'm involved in, and um, we had a bridge failure, or a bridge failing, and we brought in one of the best, uh, well, for my, for my work on building hotels and casinos, I know who the who I consider are the best structural engineers. And uh, so I'm sitting on this side of the table with their contract that was based on something I told them how to draft. And, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, and then I look at me funny as, as I was getting ready to push back on it. And I said, no, folks, you know, I, I'm not going to indemnify you for anything. Uh, I'm not going to hold you harmless. I'm striking all of paragraph three. I'm glad you liked it when we drafted it for you, but I'm not agreeing to it. I said, but here's what I'll do for you. In exchange for that, I'll leave your limitation on liability provision. And limitation on liability provision was two times fees. And I said, okay. fair, as long as you cooperate with us in, in litigation to go after the contractor. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's a give and take on it. And it has to be done at the time of contract. It doesn't matter what oral discussions you've had with the, with the guy saying, oh, we'll never come after you. All of that goes away. All that matters is what's in the four corners of that contract and it hits the, uh, and it hits the courts. Yeah. Uh, all that is called parole evidence. In other words, it's, it's ancillary to what's inside the contract. And if it's not written down, and most contracts will have an integration clause which says if it's not in these four corners, it doesn't exist and it doesn't matter. And, uh, you know, you got to pay attention. Most people are excited just to get the work, but uh, you either your your success of the project and your success as a company is dependent on having a steel uh, ironclad steel uh, contract in place. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. No, I'll uh, 
good lessons to be learned. And just going back to that city of Elko thing, the, the wording in the contract said that my former company was going to ensure that somebody else was going to do something, which is really a ridiculous thing to do. We, uh, and when you're doing construction observation, you don't even ensure compliance with with the design. All you can do is to find wrong and try to write it. Design professionals uh, don't ensure anything. Uh, no. And that was the language, or, or we shouldn't. Uh, if you contract for it like we did, well, we're kind of in trouble. Um, what design professionals do is even if uh, architects go out there, and I have my architects out there, uh, and they say they have periodic site uh, visits, right, where they come out and they'll, I'll frame the contract such that, um, you know, they're going to perform periodic site observations uh, for issues that are, you know, open and exposed. If it's an issue that's already been covered up, we're obviously not going to flag it, but um, we observe. And yeah. with the line that we use with the word ensure is, um, you know, say we're going to ensure that somebody else's work uh, conform to the uh, terms of the of the contract, including uh, various mixed designs, that kind of thing. Um, coupled with uh, an issue where uh, employees that were performing that work uh, had, you know, because obviously the litigation came a number of years later, uh, many years later, because we had multiple appeals in that case, which really kind of railroaded their experts opinion because their experts were saying that the project uh, would no longer perform after a year and two years of appeals later it was performing exactly <laughs> which kind of you know, really didn't help them like very much but um but the unfortunately is you know the key personnel on the, on the project uh had memory decline and and actual you know yeah they put, it, put it nicely they had uh, some pretty significant deficits in, in their ability to testify. Mm. And that came poorly for us. Right. Uh, case. And, um, and he coupled that with a contractor. And I, I always tell my clients, because um, I've been called out on many projects when things have gone south. Uh, I got called out at, uh, you know, at, 2.47 in the morning uh, when the Bellagio went dark on Mother's Day. And uh, that was a huge case where uh, the entire uh, power system of Bellagio literally exploded. Um, but what did I do is I went out there, I had my camera, I wasn't sure what I was taking pictures of, but I was listening to my spider senses mm-hmm. and I was taking pictures of everything I thought mattered. Yeah. And it did matter when we went to litigation and won. Um, the same thing happened or should have happened with uh, Elko is, you know, we all got our phones now, just capture photos. I mean, it, 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 it documents you were there. It documents you're paying attention. It, it's automatically geotagged. It's self-authenticating. And um, it's a good way to document things. And if you're doing things like a mixed design, make sure you're collecting all the batch tickets. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Things like that. You know, if, if it's a thing that's, you know, especially materials testing, Show that you're doing your due diligence. It's your job to oversee that. Make sure you're doing your due diligence and obtain as much documentation as possible. 
uh, and and show that you're actually looking to um, to do what you can to make sure that the other party is performing pursuant to the uh, terms and specifications of the contract. Um, problems come in where, you know, especially Elko, a small town, I mean, the general contractor, it's well known by your guys, and um, it's, a, it's a much more familiar relationship, and you gotta, you got parties that have stronger personalities than others, and, uh, you know, so things are, are done oftentimes in a more of a laid back way. And when you're representing a city or you're representing, you know, any kind of government agency or any kind of large developer, uh, you, you really got to show that you're, you're there for them. And you're, you know, it doesn't matter who's doing the work, you're still going to make sure that it's done and that the person is getting uh, what they've paid for. Yeah, yeah. And, and even, even though it, that entire lawsuit process for me was really educational, and at times entertaining. Uh, it's, it's obviously much better to um, write your proposals and the contracts and, and perform your work according to the standard of care like you were talking about and, and always consider that you could be on the wrong side of a table from a bunch of attorneys or judges. You know, so watch watch the words that you use on all project documents. If, if you're not big enough to afford an in-house attorney that of your own, uh, you know, this is for anybody like you listening, uh, get a good relationship, find somebody you'd like, and uh, get a, an, an outside uh, general counsel, uh, somebody you can just run these contracts through. That's uh, obviously, it's your job to create the, and, you know, bring in the work and, and have the optimistic attitude and, and do what you do best. Leave it up to us, you know, and I, I had a relationship with one of the largest uh, MPE firms uh, that did basically all the hotels and casinos in Las Vegas. Um, and worldwide, they went to Hong Kong and everything else. Uh, the Calstrip uh, projects. Um, but every contract they had, they sent to us. And we went through it with a fine tooth comb. It's our job to look at it from a pessimistic standpoint. And when I say pessimistic, I mean, I'm not a realistic pessimistic, but it's our job to look at it from, okay, what can go wrong? How can yeah. this go wrong? Yeah. How are we gonna that risk? Uh, what is your exposure gonna be if you decide not to, not to change this provision? And it's our job to kind of bring you back down to earth and say, from a business standpoint, does this still make, make sense to you from a, from a, uh, a business standpoint with these known risks and let's try to mitigate them through changes and you know it really can save your company um, if you have a one really bad contract and you've got a lot of you know god forbid let's say you have a collapse in the building uh, it will save your company and your, your reputation and career yeah yeah for sure for sure well, Harry, do you have any examples that you can give? It's too bad we can't really discuss Elko in detail since you and I know that one really well, but do you have another example that you could, you could talk about? Yeah, I think a fun one I can do. Uh, it's one of the first cases I did. Uh, actually, it, it kind of carried over. Uh, as a plaintiff's counsel, uh, uh, still with Gerard and Keese, uh, we had a Manly Bay case and then it ended up switching into a design professional second set of lawsuits uh, after the fact that I was involved in. 
over at uh, Green and Hall in uh, Wall and Dredge. The uh, Mandalay Bay case, uh, many might remember when the building was under construction, uh, we were brought in uh, as a plaintiff's attorney quite early. And when we first stepped foot in the project, uh, Circus Circus Enterprises uh, was developing it. I knew Bill Richardson, he's one of our neighbors and uh, you know, he's always had a reputation for being a fine casino operator and developer, a general contractor. And uh, when we got brought in, the uh, building was red tagged by county. Mm. And uh, that was gonna be their flagship property. They were actually changing their name from Circus Circus uh, Enterprises on the um, stock exchange, New York Stock Exchange, to Mandalay Resort Group. Uh, it has since been uh, acquired by MGM Resorts okay. International. But uh, at the time, uh, so Mandalay Resort Group, I remember the opening date in 1998, and the building's red tagged, and they've already got all their investors on, you know, waiting for this new flagship project to come on board. And we had a, we literally had a broken building. Uh, the center core had differentially settled uh, from the rest of the building upwards of 19 inches. And it uh, was dragging down all the electrical box conduits. Uh, it was threatening to rupture at each of the tie-in points. You know, it's a, uh, it's a Y building, so there's three wings that come off it. And uh, we brought in the best engineers. So my job as a lawyer is let's deal with county, you know, primarily that that's that saved the company, its reputation and everything. And so we're dealing with county on repairs and you know what's going to take and can we fix it? Is it salvageable? Uh, the building was already topped out at this point, and uh, you know we're doing kips analysis. You know we got four and a half kips on the wings and over nine and a half kips on the core. Uh, and ended up discovering that uh, the geotech engineer that was involved with the project wanted all the Kalichi lenses removed. Um, and Kalichi, I know the people that aren't familiar with it, it it's like a, uh, a lens of super hard uh, clay that's combined with calcium that becomes just like cement. I mean, yes. stuff is, yeah. is, is, you, you can't even jackhammer or take dynamite it away. And unfortunately, we also had a combination of that with a high water table. And this was the highest building at the time. So what did we discover is, is that there was consolidated ground failure. We had water pumping up and basically the building was falling through the ground from the water, uh, disrupting uh, the, sub, you know, the subsurface materials. And a lot of that was going down to 330 feet. Uh, so we, we came up with a fix for it. Uh, Micropile jacking, we brought in the company. Uh, out of uh, from back east uh, that had the only machinery in the world uh, that could fit in the confined spaces of a built casino uh, between uh, the artificial uh, floor and the actual mat foundation and able to get those micro piles in there. Um, of course that came with the once we got the building arrested and the, we got the county under control and they wanted various earthquake sensors and leveling yeah. sensors everything installed to that were actively hooked up to the building department by the way so if anything goes wrong with the building while it's being occupied they'd be notified first um, wow um yeah and it was all stuff we had to stipulate too they're going to basically tell us to tear that building down so we, you know obviously we did whatever they want yeah um, 
that came though with a huge acceleration claim. And it wasn't just acceleration of, of work that was obviously delayed, but there was like a lot of mill work and we had to re-level all the floors tied into the elevators because there's obviously the slope going down to them. So if you had a wheelchair and you get about midway in the wing, all of a sudden you'd have this huge, just basically ramp, this handicap ramp all the way down the elevator. So we had to like level out all the floors and everything. And, uh, you know, so there was rework, there was delay damages, there was the cost of repair, there was the damage to facilities claim, the acceleration claim. And then of course, you know, we had insurance for all that. And uh, the insurance was balking at it. And, um, we had one of the best, or still one of the best uh, agents in Las Vegas uh, on here. And we come called them up and we're like, hey, you're the one who selected this insurance company for us. Uh, fix this. Get our get our coverage. Yeah. And uh, you know they tried what they could, but it ended up in litigation. And it ended up in litigation against the against the broker and against the uh, insurance company themselves. And the issue came down to uh, sudden occurrence. What is that defined as? You know, and, and they've been litigating that aspect of things since Three Mile Island. Uh, that nuclear reactor that uh, melted down outside of New York. Yeah. And uh, our argument is 19 inches of, of settlement in, in a couple of months is <laughs> is catastrophic. <laughs> Suddenly, yeah. yeah. on a geotechnical basis, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> geotechnically, you're talking, like, you're talking feet, you know, yeah. in 100 years, you're not talking, you know, 19 feet in a month and a <laughs> And, you know, that's a sudden occurrence. And um, they, they had a really good motion for summary judgment on that. And um, unfortunately for them, they had outside counsel. And uh, their outside counsel throughout litigation would send me things from their Costa Mesa office, usually on a Friday afternoon, and I would never get it until the following Thursday. So I was always complaining about that. And uh, Judge Cherry was on the bench, and you know, I know Judge Cherry really well. And uh, so when they brought their MSJ, they sure enough they mailed it to Costa Mesa. I didn't get it from, I didn't get it the following Thursday, and you know, they blew off a couple of my days to be able to respond to it, and, and I, it ticked me off. So I opened up, you know, the Nevada Rules of Procedure, and sure enough, it says that if you don't mail it at that time now, this is way before computer service. Yeah. Uh, it says if you don't mail. In a point in, in the in Nevada, from one point in Nevada to another, it's not considered uh, service. Yeah. And so my very argument was there is no motion for summary judgment because there's no service. And uh, <laughs> the rest of it was Three Mile Island, brain cramp, holy smokes, I hope this works type argument uh, because you just never know. Um, it's super hyper technical and. Uh, the judge took the easy way out and said, yeah, you're right. There was no services, no motion pending. And then we ended it, we had a settlement very shortly after that. <laughs> so that was a fun case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? We opened up, it was a little bit, the building, uh, we, we were a little late on opening, but we got it open. Uh, and the building's still there now. And it's performing fine and uh, we, did learn a lot of from that case, and if you look, because we're involved in the win, we're involved uh, in the encore, in in their contracts and everything, and 
all of those buildings now are built with micropolis from, from the beginning. Uh, oh, oh. The and, yeah, okay. it's changed. It fundamentally changed how buildings are designed. And, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Well, Harry, we're, we're just about against the clock here, but is there any parting uh, bits, bits of knowledge you'd like to share with us before we say goodbye? Sure, just remember uh, contracts uh, control everything that happened. Um, if you don't understand the provision, uh, you know, get a lawyer if you can. If not, at least to the very least, is look it up on the internet. I don't, I don't, I don't advocate people being internet lawyers but yeah. just, but don't just blindly agree to what's in the contract provision um and a lot of people don't know that they are able to change uh contract provisions and yeah. uh you know if you can't afford a lawyer you know do your best and and, and throw in um something that you believe is more fair and don't rely upon the fact that you know, just because you have a good relationship with the party with whom you're contracting, that that's going to uh, take care of you in litigation because it won't. Uh, there'll be other people besides your friend calling the shots and, and they're going to be the ones looking to uh, have liability go elsewhere besides themselves. So uh, it's, it's nothing personal. It's purely a matter of, you know, lady justice with the blinders on and what the parties agreed to. So, right. Um, Right. Oh, and with eyes wide open and assess the risk of what you're contracting for and uh, don't always assume it's going to come out correctly. Just, you got to stop and think for a moment. What if this doesn't go the way we want it to go? How exposed am I? And does that make business sense anymore? And if it doesn't, is there a solution such as the project policy or other type of protection if they're unwilling to negotiate away the contract provisions? or a limitation of liability provision or an, or an exclusive remedy provision, which would be your, you know, your available insurance. There, there's a various ways to get around that, that yeah. would still make, you know, an unrealistic risk shift pursuant to uh, a contract still palpable and won't damage your business uh, in the long term. Mm, yeah, very good, very good. Well, Harry, uh... I appreciate the time that you've spent with us and then the knowledge that you shared with us and maybe some of the listeners won't have to learn the lessons hard the hard way and uh, yeah I, I well, appreciate you can always uh, get a hold of me you know we're all, well, we're really good friends and yeah. uh, if any of your listeners uh, you know want to talk to me uh, I'm at Wilson Elzer uh, that's W-I-L-S-O-N E-L-S-E-R uh, I perform in their uh, design professional uh, practice and their general liability uh, practice groups. Um, my uh, cell phone number is 702-521-8135. And I'll uh, be happy to talk to anybody that's got any questions from us. So. Yeah, that's terrific. Yeah, thanks so much, Gary. And I'll, I'll uh, also put your email address in the, what I call the show notes for this uh, podcast. Thank you, Brian. Hope you have a great day, Harry. You too. Thanks for the opportunity. Bye-bye. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rocking.